0: Now, brothers and sisters, it's that time in our service when we come to God's Word. So if you will, open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark chapter 4. And we will be looking at the first 20 verses of chapter 4 today. <clears throat> now, in our society, in the world that we live in, as you look out to it, You see that it's becoming, it seems like it's becoming, more and more polarized. It's divided. We're a polarized people. It's a polarized world we live in. And there are voices out in the world that are polarizing. Voices that are polarizing. Some people will find that they are intensely drawn to those voices. Those those certain voices out in... Our society that are popular, that gain a lot of influence, some are intensely drawn to them, thinking this is something that everyone needs to hear, right? This is a message everyone needs to heed, listen to this person. And then others find that they are absolutely repulsed by that same voice. It's the same voice, the same message. And they're they're saying, how in the world is this person so popular? Why would anyone listen to them? And it's the same person, the same message, but two wildly different reactions. You might think of politicians like Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or someone like that. You might think of social media personalities or news personalities like, I don't know, Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, Rachel Maddow on the other side or something like that. And usually what this has to do with is your politics and your values, right? Are these people speaking your language? Are they saying what you agree with? But Jesus, Jesus was polarizing, absolutely. But for a whole different reason. For a whole different reason. Because the approval and acceptance of Jesus and his message had nothing to do with the beliefs that people already held. In fact, many accepted his message that they were in the wrong and that they needed to change their thinking and indeed their entire lives. And so what was it? about Jesus? What was it about this polarizing man that was so different? Why did some accept his message and others rejected it? Today we come to the parable of the sower. We're going to read verses 1 through 20 in Mark chapter 4. Jesus's parable of the sower. This is God's word. Mark begins, again he began to teach beside the sea. where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now we are so blessed to have what we have with this parable today. Jesus taught many things in parables, as many of you know. His parables were stories meant to communicate a a deeper meaning. It was a a metaphor, an analogy used to communicate a spiritual truth in a, a form that people could often readily understand, something they're familiar with. He taught many things in parables. But for most parables that Jesus taught in the Bible, we are left with the parable itself, and we are left to speculate as to what the deeper meaning was. But with this parable, we have the explanation. Jesus not only says the parable, but we have the record of him explaining the parable. Now, what's funny is, sometimes preachers like myself, and I have done this to my own shame, preachers like myself will preach or teach the parable of the sower, but we will fail to read on, and realize that Jesus explained it, and then we'll be up here trying to explain it ourselves, trying to speculate, well, the the, the one ground means this, and the one ground means this, and we're speculating all kinds of different, when, if you just keep reading, Jesus explains it. And so we're so blessed to have this like we do today. Jesus actually gives us the explanation of the parable, so we don't have to spend time working that out. We can go straight to the application, because Jesus explains it for us. I'm going to separate our sermon into two different parts today. The first, I'm going to ask you a question, everybody a question. What kind of ground are you? Of these four different kinds of grounds, what kind of ground are you? And then after that, we'll, we'll spend some time on Jesus' explanation on the purpose behind the parables. But first, what kind of ground are you? Notice Jesus goes through four different kinds. The sower sows the seed the seed of the word, and it falls on four different kinds of ground. The first is the path. Everybody look with me one more time at verse 15. Verse 15, after the sower sows the word, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Jesus says, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. You get the picture of seed falling along a walking path that has been so hardened and so compacted Today we might think of concrete, a sidewalk, but the the path back then so hardened, so compacted, that the seed does not go into the soil at all. And it's simply snatched away by the birds where Jesus says snatched away by Satan. Now, this parable and its explanation is also recounted for us in the books of Matthew and Luke. You can find this in Matthew 13, also in Luke 8 both of which will help us to understand things we read in our text in Mark today. Matthew 13, 19 tells us that Jesus says of these people that are the path, he says, when anyone hears the word and does not understand it, Satan comes and snatches it away. That's what he says in Matthew. When we hear the word, but we don't understand it, that's when Satan comes in and snatches it away. Perhaps they don't understand Because of the way the word was explained. Perhaps they they received the word, but it was explained by someone unhelpfully. It's not very helpful in the way that they explained it, so they don't understand. They don't comprehend, and Satan comes and snatches it away. Perhaps it's because they have no one to help them understand. They hear the word, but how can I understand unless someone helps me? Do you remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8? The Ethiopian was riding in a chariot, reading the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah 53 to be specific. Philip comes up to the chariot, led by the Spirit, and he says, what are you reading? And he, he, he's, he understands through conversation, it's Isaiah 53. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? Right? So some don't understand because they have no one to help them understand. And then Satan snatches the word away. Or perhaps, it's neither of those, perhaps it's because someone's heart is hard and they don't want to understand. They don't want to understand. And then Satan comes and snatches the word away. Right here on the front of this pulpit is Romans ten seventeen. We put that on the front of the pulpit for a reason. Because it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ faith in Christ comes by hearing the word of Christ. The sower sows the word. People hear the word and Satan is trying to snatch that word away. And so brothers and sisters, we must pray against that. We must pray that God would prevent Satan from snatching away the word when people hear it. We must pray for the word to go forth and to be planted deep in the hearts of those who hear, and that God would keep Satan from doing this work, from snatching it away. I am praying that right now, this very moment, that God would keep Satan from snatching it away from those who hear. But we're not just praying it right now, we're praying it every Sunday, and we're not just praying it every Sunday, we're praying it all of our lives as we go out and sow the word That God would keep Satan from snatching it away. And so those are the ones along the path. Next, Jesus mentions those who the rocky ground represents. The rocky ground. Verses 16 and 17. He says, they hear the word on rocky ground. They hear the word and they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while, but then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. That seed that fell on rocky ground, Jesus says in verse 5, it sprang up quickly. It had no depth of soil, it sprang up quickly. This happens all the time. It springs up quickly in someone, but when trials or persecution come, they fall away. In ministry, we see this a decent amount. And it's discouraging. It really is. It is discouraging. It's disappointing. Someone becomes a Christian. Someone joins the church. And right away, immediately, in the short term, they're excited. They're vibrant. They're showing up to everything. They seem to be hungry and thirsty for the Lord. And then slowly but surely, they they just fall away. And a year later, you don't know where they are. You don't know what they're doing. They're gone. Slowly but surely, they just fall away. It's discouraging, it is. But it it shows us, brothers and sisters, time will tell if someone has truly been converted to the Lord. Time will tell if God's word has really taken root in someone. When, When we have someone who comes to the Lord and gets baptized, we should be excited about that, we should. But the mature believers... Mature believers should also have a slight reservation to say, time will tell. Time will tell. We want to do everything we can to help that person along. We want to do everything we can to help them grow and to help them understand the word so Satan doesn't snatch it away. But time will tell if they were just the rocky ground. Now, what does Jesus say about that rocky ground? It springs up quickly, but it falls away. Why? Because it has no root. They have no root in themselves. What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, if, if you call yourself a believer, but, for example, you never grow deeper in your knowledge of Scripture, you will have no root. You will have no root. And then when times of testing comes, when it gets hard, you fall away because you have no strength underneath. In Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 12, we read this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, that Hebrew author is saying you've been believers for a long time, by this time you ought to be teaching others, but then he says you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, To distinguish good from evil. If you never grow deeper in your knowledge of the word, you won't have a root. Or if you never cultivate your relationship with God. If you never spend time investing in it and cultivating your relationship with God. You become a Christian, but then you're just like, I guess this is just supposed to happen. It's completely passive. You won't have a root. Or if you do not become an involved member of a church family... You won't have a root. Now, I'm not talking about attending a worship service on Sundays, even if you attend at the same place every Sunday. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being an involved member of a church family, putting down roots into a church. Because here's what happens. When there's no persecution, when you get community or family points for attending worship on Sunday, then it's easy. Then, then you come. But when persecution comes, when trial comes, if you have no root, you'll just fall away. You'll just fall away because you do what's easy. You go, go along with the, the current. You will only hold if you have a root. If you have deep roots, roots that include the knowledge of Scripture and your, your relationship with God being cultivated and roots in a church a church family that connect to other believers. In a church, we are helping one another hold on to Jesus. That's what a church is. We are helping one another hold on to Jesus. We are each other's root system. And so those are the those who represent the, the seed that fell on rocky ground. Next is the seed that fell among thorns, verses 18 and 19. The seed that fell among thorns, Jesus says these are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is all too common today. All too common. Other things become more important than God and they choke him out. They crowd him out because other things have become more important than God. Some might say, I can't read the Bible because I don't have time. I'm too busy. Some might say, I can't come to worship because I've got so much work to do. Let me just make a comment on that, just briefly. Many of you have a lot of work to do. You do. And you're hard workers. And I understand this. I genuinely do. And it's a good and biblical thing for you to be a hard worker rather than a lazy person. But if you are stressed out about the amount of work that you have to do in your your job, around with your family, around your house, if you are stressed out about the amount of work that you have to do, let me challenge you to trust the Lord. To trust the Lord. In the Old Testament, the Lord gave the Israelites the law of the Sabbath. You're to rest one day in seven and depend on me. And all throughout the Old Testament, when that law is repeated over and over again, you get this sense that the Lord is telling them, if you trust me, I can provide for you in a way that you can't even provide for yourself. I can give you more than you can get with your hard work and your dedication and your time. If you honor the Lord. This is what I'm saying. If you honor the Lord, he can provide for you in ways that you never expected or imagined. He can, he can find a solution. He can make a solution to a problem that you never saw and you never imagined or expected. The Lord can do more in one minute than you with all of your hard work can do in 50 years. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? I am not saying that we must rest every Sunday. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. What I am saying is that as believers, we should make it a priority every single week to gather with one another to worship the Lord and to give him his due. And we should make it such a priority that we will refuse to miss that. We will absolutely refuse to miss being with God's people, and being with the Lord for something like work. Because we believe that the Lord can do more for us and our family than we could ever do on our own. But sadly, there are those for whom it's not just that work stresses them out, but that they use work as an excuse because they don't truly want to worship the Lord. Work is an excuse. I I don't want to, really. Indeed, notice how our Lord in the passage mentions the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Some simply want money, comfort, possessions, and a nice life more than they want God. Is that you today? Is that you today? Because friend, if it is, beware. Beware. The end of that road is a place of eternal torment and suffering of which there is no escape. That is the end of that road. Caring about work and caring about finances and caring about the well-being of me and my family more than we care about the Lord. The end of that road is a place none of us want to be. Finally, the fourth ground, the good soil. Verse 20. Jesus mentions in verse 20, Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. They hear the word and they accept it and they bear fruit. They bear fruit. What is fruit? What does he mean there? Well, in the New Testament, fruit is not converts. It's not people that you've converted to come to Christ. In the New Testament, fruit is visible evidence of a new heart. That's what it is. Visible evidence of a new heart. That's what fruit is in the New Testament. Jesus says, for instance, a tree is recognized by the quality of its fruit. You will recognize a tree by its fruit. And in the same way, our fruit or you might say our outward deeds, our fruit reveals what's inside of us. Right? The fruit on a tree reveals the life inside of that tree. Our fruit reveals what's inside of us. James says faith without works is dead. Paul mentions the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And in John 15.8, here's one that really helps us out in our passage today. John 15.8, Jesus says to his apostles, "...by this my Father is glorified." that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do we prove that we are disciples of Jesus? It's the fruit, the fruit in our lives, or the lack thereof. And so the, the good soil here, We look at and we say, how can I make sure I'm that? How how can I make sure I'm that one and not the others? Because that one's different than all of the other three. The other three are are negative. This one's positive. How can I make sure that I'm good soil? Well, it's the ones who hear the word, accept it. But not just hear and accept it. They bear fruit. Luke 8.15 helps us out here. It's wonderful the way Luke puts it. Jesus' words there, but Luke recording them, Luke 8:15, "As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, <clears throat> an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Bear fruit with patience. Brothers and sisters, we need to bear fruit, but we need to do it with patience, right? It takes time. And you're waiting on the fruit of a tree that you've planted, it takes time. You have to have patience in gardening and things like that. Bearing fruit in our own lives takes patience. If you look at yourself and you say, I'm not where I need to be, patience. Patience. Oftentimes we will be discouraged when we look at ourselves in the short term, but in the long term, if we're a true believer, we will see how far we've come. Look at other people in the same way. Be slow to judge the fruit of another person. Only God knows what's in their heart. It does say, by their fruits you will recognize them. Jesus does say that. But understand, you've got to have patience with this. Patience. We sow the seed. And you have to have patience when you sow it. right? I believe it was Charles Bridges who said, "We, We sow the seed, and often the seed lies underground until we do. And then only then. Will spring up. In other words, we might not see the fruit of our labors in sowing. We have to have patience. And so, what kind of ground are you? Of those four, what kind of ground are you this morning? But second, we need to to take just a bit of time and address what Jesus addresses here the purpose of the parables. Look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10, after he tells the parable to the crowd, it says, Then he was alone. And those around him with the 12, the 12 apostles, they asked him about the parables. In Matthew's account, it says, they asked Jesus, why do you teach in parables? They asked that question. Why do you teach in parables? Why do you teach like this? Why not just do it, you know, with with common terms, common language? Why not be direct? Why teach in parables? Verse 11, Jesus said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that... They may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Why did Jesus teach in parables? That is the question. And his answer, I believe, is surprising to most believers today. Because if we were to ask most Christians today that very question, why did Jesus teach in parables? The answer would be something along the lines of he was trying to explain mysterious truths in familiar terms. He was trying to explain mysterious truths in familiar terms. And so he used stories about farming or work or money or marriage, the the things of everyday life that people might understand. Well, that all may be true. Jesus was a genius teacher. That all may be true. But when Jesus was asked, why do you teach in parables? That wasn't the answer he gave. And that's telling. That was not the answer he gave. What does he say? He says, verse 12, everything's in parables to those outside the kingdom. Why? So that, it's a purpose statement, there's intentionality here, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Wait a second, Jesus. Are you saying you don't want some people to understand? Is he saying he doesn't want some people to see and hear? This is not what we would expect. You see, here's what he's doing. Here's what he's saying. The parables, the parables are a way of teaching that will draw some in but push others away. It'll draw some in but it'll push others away. The parables are like a dividing line or a litmus test, if you will. Who will accept God's Son? Who will accept God's truth? It has often been said, now we get back to kind of our introduction here, remember the the, the polarizing voices, right? The same voice, the same voice, some react to it positively, some negative. It is often said the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. Parables are like that. Parables are like that. It's the same crowd, it's the same words being heard, but some accepted it and others rejected it. Why? The difference is the condition of their hearts the condition of their hearts. There are those who had hardened their hearts against God and the parables pushed them farther away. It's almost as if God was confirming them in their unbelief. It pushed them farther away because they had already hardened their hearts against the Lord. But there were others, there were others who had humble and soft hearts. And through the parables, they were drawn in, they were drawn closer and they were the ones who understood the true meaning of the parables. They were the ones who took it to heart. You see, Jesus answers the question, why do you teach in parables? It's because the parables will show the heart inside of a person. They will reveal the heart inside of a person. And so those, those who are open to God, who have soft, humble hearts will be drawn in. Those who have hardened their hearts will be pushed farther away. That is Jesus' answer to why he teaches In parables. And brothers and sisters, the same thing happens today when God's word is proclaimed fully and faithfully. The same thing happens today. When God's word is proclaimed fully and faithfully, some are drawn to it and some are pushed away. Some are drawn to it and some are pushed away. It happens like that everywhere. We are not preaching a message that everyone is going to accept. We are not preaching a message that everyone is going to enjoy and react to with positivity. Some will be pushed away by the message of the gospel and the word of God. If it is proclaimed faithfully and fully. There is a way... To preach, and there is a way to share the gospel. There is a way to do this where we water it down and we make it to where everybody can swallow it nice and easy. And we leave off all the hard edges and anything that would offend anyone. And then we gather a big crowd and everyone sits in the pews happy and comfortable. And no one's being no one's being made uncomfortable in any way. No one's being shaken out of where they already are. Because, like those polarizing voices we talked about in the beginning, because you're, you're, just, you're just feeding their ego. You're just feeding what they already believe. There is a way to preach the Bible like that. But I'm here to tell you I can't do it. I can't. And you, I, I want you to be people who can't do it either. You can't proclaim God's word like that. Why? Because it's not God's word. It's got to be proclaimed faithfully and fully. You've got to give the full word of God. With all of the, the, the things that might turn people off. With everything. Because if you take away from God's word, if you take away from God's message, it's no longer God's message. For example, if you, if you decide, I'm not going to say anything about the wrath of God. We're not going to talk about the wrath of God. When I go talk to other people about Jesus, no wrath, no punishment, no hell. We're not going to say anything about that. It's there, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Well, then why in the world do people need to be saved? Why in the world would they need to believe? There's no point. You've just truncated the gospel itself. You've just made the cross meaningless, right? So where the Bible and where God's word is proclaimed faithfully and fully, what happened in Jesus's day happens now, happens to us. And there's encouragement in that, brothers and sisters, because when Jesus was preaching and when Jesus was proclaiming, he didn't have a 100% success rate. Not everyone responded positively to the message, even when the preacher was Jesus. And so not everyone's going to respond positively when we take the message out, when we go and sow the seed of God's word. Some will find their hearts being drawn to God. His word will compel them. Some of you have felt that before. Some of you might be feeling it right now. But for others, it will drive them away because they have already hardened their hearts against God. You will find this as you go out to sow the seed of God's word, so do not let it discourage you. Like Jesus, let us proclaim God's word and trust that some will come to Christ, but understand that others will not. This particular parable... The parable of the sower is a paradigm for all the other parables. This is is like a key that unlocks all the other parables. Notice what Jesus says in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Jesus says to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Why? Because this one's a paradigm for them all. This one is a, a parable of the parables, so to speak. Because Jesus goes out and sows the word with parables, with stories. He goes out and sows the word with parables. And those parables, that word that that he's sowing, it falls on all kinds of different ground. We see this in the Gospels. It falls on all kinds of different ground. Some receive it with joy, while others reject it. Some receive it superficially and spring up very quickly, but then they fall away. And then others take it to heart and believe with sincere faith. Some have... Ears to hear, and others do not. Did you see Jesus say that in our text, verse 9? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's the question I want to leave you with today. Do you have ears to hear? Ears to hear. Now, notice as we read through our passage, the crowd didn't hear what Jesus said in verses 11 and following. Verses 11 and following were only for those who were around Jesus when he was alone, his his group of followers, the apostles and those who were already committed to him. The crowd didn't get the explanation. Only the 12 apostles and those close to Jesus got the explanation. The crowd only got the parable, verses 1 through 9. And so, for most people in this passage, the real question was did they have ears to hear? Did they have ears to hear? Jesus says it in verse 9. He'll say it again in verse 23. Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What does that mean, ears to hear? Because I'm telling you, everybody in that crowd had ears. Everybody had ears. But not everybody had ears to hear. He's talking about their ability to receive Jesus' teaching in their hearts. Their ability to receive his teaching in their hearts. He's talking about their ability to discern the spiritual truth of the parables. Not just to discern them intellectually either. Not just to to, to be smart enough to understand that there's a metaphor going on here. But to accept those those truths. To agree with them in their hearts. And to respond in faith. And so the question for all of us is, how can we have ears to hear? That's my question when I'm reading this. How can I make sure that I have ears to hear? That I don't just hear the words, that that I understand it in my heart. That I believe it with faith. How can we have ears to hear? Because this does not come naturally. Those who have ears to hear also have humble and receptive hearts. This is a heart question. Not just an ear question, it's a heart question. They have humble and receptive hearts. A humble and receptive heart is one that receives God's word even when it's uncomfortable. Even when God is saying that we are in the wrong. Even when God's word is a rebuke to me. When God is saying, I'm a sinner and I need what only he has. I can't give myself what I need. Only he can. I need to go to him for what I need. When God rebukes you, do you receive it? humble, and receptive hearts. It's a prerequisite. It's a requirement. Those who have ears to hear have a willingness to admit their sin and their failures before God. Those who have ears to hear love Christ above themselves. Do you love Christ more than yourself? Because those who rejected Jesus' words when he was on the earth, they loved themselves more than they loved God. They loved themselves more than they loved God. Are you willing to say no to yourself and yes to God? Are you willing to admit that you don't have what you need in and of yourself? You need something you don't have. You need what only Jesus has. But at the end of the day, ears to hear, at the end of the day, God must grant this. God must grant it. There's a wonderful little passage in Deuteronomy 29 where the people are about to go into the promised land but they've just spent 40 years wandering in the desert and God is telling them through Moses you don't understand all that I've been doing for you this whole time in the 40 years through the desert and you don't understand because I haven't given you ears to hear and a heart to understand I haven't given it to you yet see the the Lord must grant this ears to hear and so If you desire, if you truly desire to hear and accept Jesus' words in your heart, pray for this. Pray that God would give you ears to hear. Pray that God would give you the gift of hearing his word, but not just hearing it, understanding it. And not just understanding it intellectually, accepting it in your heart. As he intends it to be understood and accepted. As he intends it to work on you ask God to give you ears to hear, ask Him to give you a humble heart to receive His word and to believe in faith that 's what we need, and we need the Lord to give it to us and so it 's probably as good a time as any for us to stop and to pray, for us to go to the Lord and to ask for these things and to ask that he would cause his word to do its work on our hearts. And so every week after the sermon, we give this time, uh, just a few minutes of silent, reflective prayer, and we ask that, that you respond to the Lord. Whatever he's laid on your heart, now you go back and respond to him. We've heard from him. Let him hear from you, from your heart right now. And after we pray for a few moments, then we'll, we'll come back and we'll have an invitation time where those who may need to respond to God's word in a public way can do so. So let's pray for a few moments.